I've always just been super hyper aware. I think it's just my personality as well. And I just, you know, I want to bring love and kindness and peace to people. And so through my actions and through my artwork is the way that I have done it and the way that I continue to, you know, just interact with people and carry myself in this world at this point, you know? Hello and welcome to Here in L.A., Eagle Rock Edition. Today, we're going to meet Dalila Paola Mendez, a native Angelino, artist, gardener, and teacher. Boy, does she teach me some things today. We talk about how to keep bugs off your plants in your garden without pesticides, street art, growing up in Northeast L.A., having an Armenian Arab dad, and how her grandmother reacted when she came out. Unlock the door, sit right down, and enjoy Dalila Mendez of Eagle Rock. Hello, hello. I am with Dalila. Mm-hmm. Dalila Paolo. Paola. Paola. That almost sounds Hawaiian. Yeah, it's actually Italian. Huh. Yeah. So Dalila Paola. No, I keep trying to say that. Paola. Paola Mendez. Yes. Welcome to my home. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. Uh, you are a resident of Eagle Rock. Yes, I am. And we're doing Eagle Rock right now. When did you move to Eagle Rock? Um, my family and I, we moved to Eagle Rock in 1989, my freshman year of high school. Was it hard to be a new kid in town? Oh, yeah. I did not like Eagle Rock when we moved there because I moved from Echo Park, Silver Lake, where it was like so much was happening. It was very bustling. My grandma lived by Temple and Rampart. So I was just used to a lot of people out. And Eagle Rock was such a sleepy, like very, a lot of older people lived in Eagle Rock at that time. Yeah, it was just very different. And then I went to school here in Los Feliz. So I wasn't really used to the neighborhood, so it took some adjustment. But I think now in my adult years, I love Eagle Rock. Uh, if you can hear the buzzing, there's construction being done in my building, Okay, listeners. And uh, we apologize, but it's L.A. We're constantly growing, right? Yeah, there's always a lot of construction happening We're, we're in trying LA. to build housing for the people. Yeah. And... Um, Okay, so is this the 90s that you were in high school? When did you graduate high school? Yeah, I graduated in 93. 93. Oh, my God. So you were in high school, like, during grunge era. Mm-hmm. Were you into rock and roll and, and hip-hop and all that kind uh, of thing? I was into hip-hop, R&B. Um, my parents listened to, like, soul, classic, rock, Spanish music. So I grew up with those, but mostly hip-hop at that time. Were the kids... Okay, are you an Eagle Rock Eagle? I am not. I went to private school. My sister's in Eagle Rock, Eagle. My youngest sister. What private school did you go to? I went to Immaculate Heart High School. So right here in Los Feliz area. But but when you went to Eagle Rock, you stayed at uh, Immaculate? Oh. Yeah, so I commuted to school. Through, through the bus? Through the bus or my parents would drop me off. Interesting. Yeah. I had to go to Cal School because I got in trouble... In elementary school, I went to public school and I got into a fist fight with a boy. And my mom and my stepdad at that time was just like, that's it. You're going to Catholic school. So I went to St. Casimir here in Silver Lake or Los Feliz, Silver Lake area. And then to Immaculate Heart. Did you beat the boy? Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I did win that one. What did he do to uh, deserve He called my mom the B word. So I 
socked him. And your mom didn't love you for that? Yeah, I don't know. No, she wasn't. My stepdad was really, because he's like very conservative, traditional Armenian Arab man. So hold, hold on. Your mom married a Armenian Arab. Mm-hmm. They met in downtown. So that's the wow. thing about L.A., which I really love about L.A. I've lived a lot of places, and L.A. is very diverse. It's not like any other city in the U.S. Yes. Um, so, yeah, they were both in downtown. I was hungry. I wanted a hamburger. We stopped at, like, a falafel hut by the jewelry district. And my dad was there with, like, his shirt half open, his hair, and, like, big old medallions. So it was, like, super 70s. 80s he was kind of old school he had like platform and like bell bottoms yeah he was funny but yeah i remember that so that's how they met and your mom was just in love yeah my mom really liked him they started dating he was a post office postal worker and um yeah they just fell in love and married what was your mom like back then um she was a lot of fun my mom was really adventurous and i think that's where i get it from she played sports she was really into like her health um she used to work like as an aerobics instructor. She used to clean houses. And then she um, went into teaching after she graduated and got her teaching credential. High schools, little kids? Uh, high school, little kids. Meaning... What, what did she teach? What grade? Oh, so she taught elementary school in Highland Park. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So. so you could see why they fell in love. Mm -hmm. Were they good together? They were good together. They were different. It's kind of interesting. Like, they're very different. But I guess love makes you forget those things, you know? But, yeah. But it was a cool Did dad thing. bring home uh, Armenian food? Um, like, did he introduce you guys to Armenian food? He sure did. My mom had to learn how to cook. So his father's Armenian, but through the, you know, the Armenian genocide, um, he was orphaned and went to Jerusalem. So there's like a quarter of Armenian... Arab Christians that live in Jerusalem. And so his mom is Palestinian. And so he's just used to that kind of food. So my mom had to learn how to cook it. And then I think because of me, I'm the one that brought like the Central American food and then the Arab Armenian food that I liked. And I brought them together in ways that he was like, that doesn't go together. And I'm like, but actually it's really good. So <laughs> I have, it was cool to do Where that. in Central America is your mom's family from? So my mom's family is from uh, El Salvador. Um, my grandma moved from El Salvador to Guatemala, but my mom was born in Guatemala. And then from Guatemala, they moved, they immigrated to the U.S., but they immigrated to New Orleans. So my family still lives in New Orleans, half of on my grandfather's side. Um, and my grandma's the only one that came to Los Angeles. So we have like some family members in L.A. now, but yeah, it was pretty much that was their immigration story. And talk about great food in New Orleans. Have oh, you, yeah, great food. I mean, let's let's integrate some of that. Yeah, my grandma did. <laughs> she would make, like, Latino-stylish gumbo or jambalaya and all these other dishes. She loved I, I need them to over taste there. This. I mean, who, first of all, who doesn't love gumbo? Yeah. But I'm curious what what Central America-style flavor. Yeah, she had her own little sasson, as we say. Yeah, she's not alive, or else I totally would bring you a dish. Because she would be like, sure, bring them some food. Cause so maybe it's a little them. spicier than than the Creole? Yeah, and I think it's more the spices that she like introduced into the Creole food to make it, to I guess, better. Or not better, but like just more 
to her palate and to her liking, right. she would bring it into the food. So, okay, so you had to go to Catholic school. Yeah, uniform and all that. Yes, nuns. Yes. Uh, but it seems like through your Instagram, which I love, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, it seems like you're Buddhist now. Yeah. How did you discover and embrace Buddhism? Um, so interesting. Well, my family was Catholic, but I think I've, as I got older, I didn't really like the institution of Catholicism <laughs> and being, you know, I think also going to Catholic school in Silver Lake, I was fortunate enough that it was very diverse. It was like Korean Thai, Armenian, Lithuanian, Latino. Like there was just a real mix of folks. And, but they were, the nuns were really mean. And it was kind of like, uh, you say one thing, but then you all act a different way. So I just kind of was not into it anymore. And I guess I'm just reading. And then it wasn't until later on a friend invited me to actually Thichna Han's uh, Deer Park Monastery in Escondido to go to like a POC uh, meditation mindfulness retreat. And that just like sealed the deal as I had been reading and like looking into, you know, different aspects of more of like a spiritual practice. And so also with that, I have like the spiritual practices of my grandmother who are more like indigenous, connected to nature, uh, you know, plants, your relationship with people uh, as being reflections of each other. And so Buddhism for me was just like a nice kind of way for me to be more active in my practice and do mindfulness and meditation and go to sanghas and things like that. So that was really, and it really helped me because I went through, you know, I think we go through things with families, there's traumas, there's things that we go through. And for me, it was the best way to bring happiness and peace to myself and my inner world and kind of deal with the traumas and as a way of really healing myself. So, yeah. Which I hate to say it because I was raised Catholic. Mm. None of that is in the church. Yeah. No, it is not. <laughs> not at all. I mean, only if like it's like the all like um, the Jesuits. Right. So in El Salvador, like with um, Oscar Monsignor Oscar Romero was a Jesuit and he was fighting for peace and liberation of the Salvadorian people during the Civil War. So on that sect, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're much better, but it's still the institution, you know. How how are you so in tune with all these things, the politics, religion, spirituality, nature? Were you always like that? Like um, in high school, were you at least open to the, these kind of things? Yeah, so I think because so I was also raised, my mom was a single mom for a bit. And so I was raised by my grandmother, my aunt and my mother. And I grew up in Echo Park. And, you know, we're like 80s kids, we're latchkey kids. So I grew up a lot just like exploring Echo Park Hills and the Silver Lake Hills. And I've always really been into nature. My grandma has taught me a lot of those traditions. So I really feel like it's those like older traditions that have really resonated with me. And I think because going back, we went always, we were going back to El Salvador and Guatemala. You just see the, the poverty that people had to go through. And so it became clear to me that here in the U.S., at a very young age, I was aware that, like, how fortunate we are and how much we take for granted. And I think because I had these women who, like, were independent, um, were very, like, warrior women to survive and, like, be able to do these things, it really was, you know, made an impression on me. And so 
I think also growing up here in LA, I've had a lot of experiences. I think going from becoming like going to Catholic school, seeing poverty, like in the communities at Echo Park, then going to private school and seeing people with a lot of like affluence. You know, my grandma used to work cleaning houses in Hancock Park. So all these ways that you move through time and space with people. And I've always just been super hyper aware. I think it's just my personality as well. And I just, you know, I want to bring love and kindness and peace to people. And so through my actions and through my artwork is the way that I have done it and the way that I continue to, you know, just interact with people and carry myself in this world at this point, you know. Let's talk about your artwork for a second. Okay. Because it is beautiful. Thank you. And um, your Instagram, which we will link on the webpage, but um, is that the best place for people to see your your um, your artwork? Is through yeah, Instagram? or have a website. It's my name, dalilamendez.com. Okay. And so that's where I have other work as well. And so I, I tweeted um, two... Two oh, pieces nice. that you did um, on my Twitter account just now saying, first of all, just how lucky I am to have this opportunity to talk to people like you. Thank um, you. I love creative people and I love people who are outside of the mainstream. Mm. Would you agree that your art is outside of the mainstream? Yeah. So one of the things is this Quirios. Oh, Quirios. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, okay, for... if. if if you're not if you're not seeing this um, in front of you, it's kind of a parody of Cheerios. Yeah. But instead of a round shaped bowl, it's a heart shaped bowl of Cheerios with um, strawberries. Mm -hmm. And the text says, "Love your heart, so you can be who you are." Mm -hmm. What uh, inspired you to do this? Did were you commissioned to do this? No. Um, so it's a silkscreen print I did actually with self help graphics. And they're actually the first place I print did a print with them in their atelier. Um, so that one was 2015. So for me, I didn't come out. And I wasn't really aware of me being queer um, for a while. Not probably until I was my 20s. Um, so, yeah, I didn't. Did you kiss boys in high school? Oh, yeah. I had boyfriends. <laughs> Did you enjoy kissing boys oh, in high I school? Oh, I love boys. I mean, I, I like guys. It was just a different experience of being open to being with a female, with a woman, um, that really changed. But then I guess, but then you, when you, that happens, you kind of go back in your memories of childhood and you're like, oh, that's probably like a crush I had on a girl. Then it was just like, I just want to be their friend. So it was kind of that thing where I was like, oh, that's what it was. But again, like Catholicism. Yeah. I come from a very like traditional immigrant family. My grandma was super, could be conservative at times. My mother too. And I was just like deathly afraid. Like literally was like the time I came out was when I was like, okay, if they like throw me out of the house or I'm disowned by my family in myself, I think I'll be okay to like deal with this. So that's what, what made me come out. So then that piece was just like, we, we're just fabulous. Like, I think it's, it's hard to like, because for me, I've never been the person to, you can't box me into anything. And I've never wanted to be a person like that. So for me, it was like, look, just like 
be true to who you are. I think a lot of us are queer in ways that we don't define it, but society is so intent on labeling everything. And it's like, you know, I think language can be very liberating, but language can also be very limiting at the same time. So I've always had this play where it's like, okay, but just be happy. And I think it was more of like playfulness, you know, being fabulous, like fabulousness guaranteed if you're queer. And then, um, and also for the youth, because I used to be a teacher as well. So I feel like it's like, you, it's okay to be you, just love yourself. Because a lot of us, like for myself too, I had a lot of insecurities and it was hard to just be comfortable with myself because I was very different. I never, it wasn't like I could just pinpoint or just be a certain way. It was like, no, I could be that way and then I could be another way. And I like fluidity and I think we're all fluid in that way. So how did your mom react when you came out to her? She cried actually. Yeah. It was hard. And I wasn't trying to tell my grandmother either, but my mom was so distraught. My grandma saw my mom and was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and then my mom told her. And then my grandma was like, and I mean, my grandma and I are, are were super, super close. She came to the door and she's like, I can't open this door because I might hurt you. And I was just like, oh my God. Like I was crying. I was so distraught. I was like, but, um, because I've heard other coming out stories mm -hmm. where the family's like, we always knew. Mm. They never knew? They did. My stepdad knew. My mom was like, I think oblivious. She didn't want to believe it. Right. Um, but she probably did. I've always been like, I've played sports. I'm kind of not the artist where I play sports. I loved, I was such a jock in like school. And... You still look very athletic. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Looks like you could play some softball right now. Right on. I'd totally be down. <laughs> <laughs> so what, was it just time that got your, your grandma and your mom? Oh, yeah. And just talking to them, you know, because we have ways that we think what love is. And so I decided that I would walk with my mother instead of being in the house because we probably would get in an argument. So let's walk. We'll go outside public. We can just talk and talk about your assumptions. And then with that, and I think also shock value, because my friends were like, when I was in my 20s, I used to shock my mom. I used to be in like a film, I'm kissing a woman. I took my mom to the opening and she's looking at me on screen. Like, that was kind of funny. My friends are just like, oh my God, I can't believe you brought your mom to this to see. But that was before you came out? You no, this was after, after I came out. Yeah, she became a super big ally. She supported- really? My friends, yeah. How, how long did that take? Um, I would say it probably took like a year. That's it? Yeah, I mean, the year for her to finally let guard and be like, okay, let me, you know, I feel a little more comfortable with this. And then just slowly, she just became more and more open to it where she was like my biggest ally. My grandma would even be like, stop telling people your daughter's queer. Like, why are you doing all that? Yeah, it was funny. And then my grandma would joke with me and make all these like really not very appropriate jokes. But to me, she would make them. And I was just like, wow, we've gotten really far for now. You can like have a joke, you know, tell me jokes about this. This is so great to hear. So you what you would you would advise other young people or even older people in the closet. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to come out to your parents. Mm -hmm. Don't get freaked out if their first reaction is... <laughs> Anger. Yeah. Your grandma not letting you in the house is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was intense. Because over time they'll see that you're still their little baby. Yeah. And you're not going to go to hell. Mm -mm. 
I no, mean, not at all. The Bible does not say anything like that. Yeah, no. You know, especially Jesus. The Jesus part is yeah. love each other. Well, that's the funny part. Jesus loved everybody, <laughs> but yet they, you know, it's kind of crazy where Christians are like super like. Yo, that's not what Christianity is about. It's about loving your neighbor, loving anybody. But we're so judgmental. We, you know, we have all these things like we'll like you only if you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But yeah, you have to because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of queer folks, LGBTQIA community really go through a lot of depression and mental health issues. And so that was happening to me. I was just like, I feel like I'm like just drowning in this silence, and I I just have to be my butterfly. Like, I'm a butterfly. I'm going to, like, come out of my cocoon and show whatever it is I need to show to the world and do that. How different was your life the year after you came out to your mom? It was very different. Um, and I think what also gave me the courage was I was a teacher, and that the school I was working at was a social justice school. And so we would talk to our, well, I was second grade teacher, so I would talk to my students about it. We had like a human rights assembly. We would um, look at LGBTQ like literature to talk to, you know, with our students. And so I'm like, I'm over here talking to kids that aren't even my sisters, because my sisters were much younger than me, or my family. Like, I have to do this, you know? And so that's what really helped to push me to do it. People in Florida and Texas, their minds are blowing right now <laughs> that second graders are being talked about about sexuality. Yeah. They would, some of them, especially the governors, yeah, would say that's way too young mm -hmm. and you're indoctrinating them. Mm. You're turning them queer. Mm, I know, right? So ridiculous. <laughs> As if, right? Yeah. Because if that were true, these nuns would have made us all like incredible <laughs> Christians, right? Yeah. Whereas the opposite seems to be true to me, that, mm -hmm. that young people who go to Catholic schools often turn their backs on religion in general. Yeah. Because it's just, like you said, they're mean. They, it, it doesn't relate. So anyways, it's even though I try to consider myself quasi-woke, mm. I kind of think second grade might be too young too. Mm. So t talk me out of that. Well, yeah. I mean, you have a lot of children who have, you know, parents that are queer. So they're living the experience. And so when you're going to school, it's just like our books. Like we need books that look like POC or people of color who look differently abled because we exist. To think that it's just heterosexual love that exists in a world is pretty naive. And it's also very backwards. Like we're more than that. And youth, they're not judgmental. Just like youth at the beginning, they're not racist. They learn those behaviors, right? So... We, if we give students to present them to, you know, works or literature or ideas, them as critical thinkers can make their own inferences. They can make their own judgments and work through stuff, ask questions, you know? So it's very important to do, have those discussions. Uh, could you tell that the kids, even in second grade, totally got what you were talking about? Yeah. Cause I mean, you use it, we, the way, like one of the books I remember we used was, these parents who were these characters, but they were blue people. So it wasn't like coming out blatantly saying like, you know, the, or they're lesbians or you know, gay parents, but they're blue. And so they were different than others. But that's what we teach is to be like kind to others, to be helpful to others. And if we're not teaching that, we're making a big disservice to our society 
and to our communities. Are there any lesbian bars in Eagle Rock? I don't think so. <laughs> there weren't very many lesbian bars, period, in LA. I mean, you usually have to go to West Hollywood. Though Silver Lake was, I don't, now it's different because it's been gentrified a lot, but Silver Lake had tons of gay lesbian bars that we, I actually used to work with folks that we would throw a bar, like a club, what's now the Echo, but it used to be Club Nayarit, and so we would have clubs. But yeah, Silver Lake had tons of gay bars. The Black Cats, probably the, the Black most Cats, the famous. One. Yeah. Because it, it predates um, uh, Stone, Stonewall. St Stonewall. Um, but that's what I've heard from mm -hmm. lesbian friends is that L.A. is Boys Town mm -hmm. and there's very few um, uh, places solely for lesbians. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Well, that's funny because we always have this because I think guys like to they party a lot. They drink a lot. They can go out. <laughs> but a lot of times, you know, women have they're like parents. We don't party that much as guys. So I don't think it has like the boy bars like they can have a lot of clientele than women but the bars where they're like lesbians or huh. you know i think that was more the issue so it's, it's it's just a business thing if i wanted to start a lesbian bar i'd go out of business yeah you might because a lot of them did like in west hollywood there were a couple and they all went out of business interesting yeah and then with this pandemic who knows now so the other thing that i tweeted out your other piece that i tweeted out Kind of like looked like a, a throwback to the '60s. Oh yeah! And in your description, it basically it, it looks like two black women with bags of food. Mm -hmm. And in your description, you said that this was kind of a shout out to the Black Panthers mm -hmm. and how they would give food to the poor too. Mm -hmm. it, it, can Can you tell talk to, more about that? Yeah. So um, that piece was I did that because I learned about the Black Panther Party giving away free food. And the breakfast program that they had for elementary school students. And that actually predated what we know now as the federal program within the U.S. that feeds children breakfast. And at that point, the CIA, FBI said that was the biggest threat, like, to society. And they were, you know, and the reasons why they went about trying to, like, break and dismantle and kill Black Panthers. Um but because they were giving food to kids? Yeah, because it was a great way to bring community together. And that, that posed a big power threat to the systems that were in power, like the FBI. And so it's kind of crazy to think that just by food. But you see how much in our communities, especially in lower income communities, communities of color, we're in food deserts. Yep. So if you don't feed people well, they're not able to function very well. You know, you're having all these things that affect your health. So the quality of life is less. And so Black Panthers knew back then, like, we need to feed our community, give them good, healthy, whole foods so that they can live their best lives and, like, the kids can go to school and actually be functioning and, like, learning. Um, and so, yeah, that's I, how. I heard that a kid on an empty stomach mm -hmm. really can't learn. Yeah, it's really hard. You feed for them. a kid even just breakfast or just a sandwich mm -hmm. um, first thing in the morning, and their ability to learn just multiplies. Yeah, which which doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, but it also shows you kind of how cruel people like the CIA is or anybody who's against free free food for kids mm -hmm. are because why wouldn't you want an educated society? Why wouldn't you want kids who can earn 
their living mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to steal it. Yeah. And it, it's just it's just crazy to me, but I would imagine as a teacher, especially of second graders, you would want kids to be focused up because they had a sandwich. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, because what you it makes me think too is like slavery is like at that point they didn't want people to learn how to read because then you're gonna question authority. You're gonna want life a better life. The same with like you know these youth that are eating better. You get you know you start to want and demand a better life and access to things. And so that's also why the reason I um, it was part of the reason as to why I did the piece because also the black. Lives Matter issues were happening. And so it was like, you know, these things that were happening in the 60s and 70s are still happening to this day. And we're in what, two, I think I did that in 2016, 2017, I believe. So the same issues that are affecting our communities. Um, so for me, it was important to, to, and I think I like to use my, well, not that I think, but I like to use my work as an educational tool as well. So we can learn things or we can imagine new things. And so... It's yeah, it's a I mean it's a big issue we're still facing. Having access to growing gardens. Like so I became a master gardener. So it's kind of also the trajectory is my grandma was my grandma's family were all agriculturalists. Uh, they say in Spanish agronomos. So they had land and they used to like have cows and grow food and so my grandma is very much of that tradition. So like our house in Eagle Rock has tons of fruit trees that were planted by my grandmother. So we have like mango, guayaba, banana, navel oranges, um, persimmons, lemons, limes. Yeah. And we have a little like she has her or she had her vegetable garden that now I take care of. And so that's how I got. I'm also that's why I'm into it, because it's important. There's two things of the American dream, quote Mm -hmm. unquote, that I have. One is a second refrigerator in the garage. (laughs) necessary huh? and the others fruit trees in the backyard <laughs> yes but the other day i heard anybody who has fruit tree has rodents because uh, at night they come out and eat they the want to eat yeah is that true i mean i could see that being true more of the city but you don't seem bothered by it no i mean i think well because also the indigenous practice is like you grow food to share so um I used to be like managing a community garden in Pasadena and we brought indigenous Mayan. Well, I didn't bring them, but they brought, they came to the garden, but another organization brought them to the U S to talk about, you know, access to fruits and vegetables. But they have a saying where it's like you plant four plants, one for yourself, one to share with family and friends, one to share with community and one to share with the insects and the plant life or like animal life. It's like there's nothing, I mean, they're that's part the most of our system. That's yeah. the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's very beautiful. I'm already blown away by you. <laughs> this is this is, this is is so incredible. Mm. We don't see this on TV. No, we don't. We don't read about this in the newspaper. That yeah, is the most, well, I guess, that's socialism, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's part which of is, the Which is supposed to be bad. Yeah, they p- play it that way. It's like socialism communism but that's the thing you give people access to land they're able to like be more self-sustainable but that's not what these powers that be want they want you dependent on these corporations they want you dependent on these like things that aren't sustainable for our lives or this planet basically and we're looking at what the repercussions of this industrial 
industrialized society, but also industrialized agricultural um, system that we have in the U.S. and around the world that's really depleting our lands and just the whole life cycle that's happening. And it's huge. So if if one quarter of the crops are supposed to go to the insects and the animals, mm-hmm. which I'm, my heart is bursting with love that. for that. That is so Isn't beautiful. It beautiful. Does that mean that um, you don't put any pesticides or insecticides on your fruits or around yeah, the garden? Yeah, you just use natural things to be like the what? pesticides. So like the, and this kind of ties into the Day of the Dead, um, marigolds, sempasuchis out there is called. Marigolds are a nas- natural pest control. So they're plants that are like us as humans like to be around. And there's certain plants that don't want to be around certain plants because... They mess up their game to grow well, you know? So, yeah. And so that, by having a more biodiverse area of of planting and, like, harvesting, it helps and brings beneficial pests that kill the invasive, you know, species of insects that come. So there is a system that's already naturally there. Right. But because, again... They want to sell... A business wants to sell the pesticides. So then GMOs come in... And that messes up the food system and all these different, like, you know, pesticides that have actually caused a lot of harm to people and the, you know, the water systems. Now, I am a Christian. Okay. So when I, when you tell me marigolds are the natural pesticides for your garden. Okay. I think, God, there you go showing off again. Mm -hmm. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. How does a Buddhist look at that? The same way. I mean, the Buddhist... Which is interesting, like Tai Thichan Han, who recently passed. Um, he talks a lot about our life is like a compost pile. So what we think is dead matter, and it's like, you know, but underground, there's so much life happening to decompose something. But then within that decomposition, new life is born. And so God is great that it makes so many wonderful things that, we can be provided for if we lived in a more like, you know, co and peaceful relationship with our environments and people. So, um, yeah, but so Buddhism is very much, and that's why Buddhists are vegetarian because they don't want to hurt animals. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have a vegetarian diet and you're really looking at like what you do to the world and how you are participating in the world. Mm -hmm. Are you making it better? Are you making it worse? Mm -hmm. Are you helping others? So, I think, you know, that's why I was really called to Buddhism as a spiritual practice. And it's been very helpful with, like, just mindfulness and meditation. You did a piece... A Day of the Dead piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dia de los Muertos. I'm seeing it at Target now. Oh, yeah, it's gotten really. Should I wince when I see it at Target? It's capitalism. Anything that you can make money off of, it just gets co-opted. Does it make you uncomfortable to see it there? Not really, but it loses the meaning of it. You Got know, it. it becomes now it's more like people think it's synonymous with Halloween, which it isn't. I mean, Halloween in itself was this time of like, you know, paying your homage to like spirits and ghosts. But 
with everything, it just becomes a commodity, becomes part of capitalism to make money off of it. I mean, I do, but then I don't because then more people are learning about Day of the Dead that wouldn't have, and then maybe they take it upon themselves to like maybe make an altar to my ancestors or to the spirit. So yeah, it's like a double-edged sword with a lot of things. You did an altar at the Century City Mall. Yeah. That was funny, yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean... The Century City Mall, especially now, yeah. might be the, the most bougie mall. Oh, yeah. With our, my altar was in front of Tesla. I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, how did this come about? So um, I work with an organization based out of Boyle Heights called Self-Help Graphics. Um, they're actually an organization that actually gave me my first showing. So they're a community arts organization, mainly focused on printmaking. Um, and it was actually started by a, a nun as well, Sister Karen Bocalero, nice. um, who was taught by Carita Scott Kent, who's like a well-known also nun who did um, printmaking, who was part of Immaculate College and that whole area, which is now AFI. But um, wow. yeah, so Self-Help Graphics has been doing, basically they started like a lot of Chicano artists starting to do Day of the Dead and bring it from Mexico, but it's actually a practice that's carried on through Latin America. It just looks differently in some places, but there's a lot of very common threads between it. But um, so I was invited to do an altar installation. They do them pretty much every year, like at different malls to get community involvement. Before COVID, we would do sometimes where like people could write and put their place, their ancestor on the altar. Um, but with COVID, we kind of stopped that. But um, I would put pictures of like people. So Kobe Bryant, like not last year, but the year before that, it was when Kobe passed and uh, Gigi. No, I want to say Gigi. Gianna. Uh, is it Gigi? No, it's Gianna. Gianna, right? Right. Yeah. So right. his daughter, and then um, John Lewis, like a bunch of people passed. So I always put like community folks or like people we know within our pop culture or within the greater culture of us um and then also friends and family that i know who have passed so it gets incorporated into the altars and so they're basically like three elements where you're like paying homage to the land to the air and then to the spirits and then you put food out and then water and then other things like the papel picado which is the tissue paper that's cut that's for the wind element for the air so that the spirits know to come. Um, yeah. So they're and then chocolate or food that they like to eat. So it's just a really way of like celebrating those who have passed, calling them in during this time, because it said that like the um, kind of this curtain between the spirit world and the human world is very thin. So you have more contact with your spirits. So, it's actually something my grandma didn't really practice it, but she would go. And that's an interesting thing, because as we travel from our homelands, our motherlands, when we immigrate, sometimes we lose these traditions. And the way that it was really done in El Salvador and Guatemala itself is like you go to where your your family's buried and you put flowers and all these things. But because we moved to the U.S., that's no longer possible. So it's kind of like past but then when I was bringing it back she's like started talking to me about the tradition itself so that's how I was able to learn more about the tradition and how she did it when she lived in El Salvador 
So, yeah, it's a really beautiful tradition that happens, and I'm glad that we do it here in L.A. Because of where I live, um, relatively close to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Oh, yeah. They have Day of the Dead over there. Oh, that's a big one. And you see lots of young people, and the cynics will say hipsters, mm-hmm. um, dressed up in a lot of traffic. I mean, it's super popular now. Yeah. When you were younger, was it also popular? Yeah, so that started, that tradition probably started when I was in my 20s. Self-Help Graphic had been doing it since 1970. They're like the original um, folks of artists who brought that tradition. And then Hollywood Forever did it when I was in my 20s. But it's changed a lot. But um, yeah, they were known very much for their altars and the concerts and all these ways that and it used to be free now i think they charge a bunch well they should yeah so it's too many people may as well charge and yeah it's i mean it's a lot it's probably too much for me i think that's why like self-help graphics is a little more low-key yeah and it's not as like crazy traffic as um forever. let's get back to the century city element yeah part of me is like good teach these Super wealthy lawyers and entertainment people who don't care about culture and only care about Teslas. Yeah. A little bit of what's really going on in L.A. Mm-hmm. The other half of me is like, forget those people. They're mm-hmm. never going to learn. They're just. They're probably not even going to see it because their heads are in the phone. Yeah. Um, this should be somewhere else. This, mm-hmm. this should be at the Eagle Rock Plaza. Mm-hmm. What's what's your take about um, that installation? Which, by the way, was beautiful. I saw the John Lewis. Uh, very cool. Your mom recently passed. Yes. Um, was she in there too? Yes, she uh, was. of course, probably. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about sharing very personal images um, with people who might not even give a crap at the Century City Mall? Yeah, that one was a little hard. I'm actually too. People would move things on my altar the altar so that was really hard and i haven't had that happen in any of the other ones so i was just like really like why why are you messing with it but um did you have to put a do not touch on there i mean it had like guardrails around it so it was supposed to be people people did yeah they moved like kobe's picture up like they were just moving things oh but it's not like they were curating for you yeah i'm just like (laughs) that's not what happens but that's entitlement i think that comes with century city Right. That's very different than like when I did it at fifth fig and seventh, let's say. Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean, because I'm working with self-help, they do it and they do it as a way of like, I guess it's like my way of thinking of an intervention in a way for yes. people to pay attention. It may not be it may be more covertly that it's their message is getting there. I don't know how mm-hmm. overtly it is, but plus that might be the only one that they see in real exactly, life. Exactly, especially in the West Side. So I think in that way, it's like you get to see it and maybe they'll learn a little more. Maybe the more that they see it, they'll have an appreciation. Okay, so, so we'll for see. for those who did move Kobe <laughs> up, uh huh, why was he where you put him? Um, Because he, well, he was in the front, but it was just at a lower but, you know, people love Kobe. They're like, we want him at the top. And I'm like, no, that place is for my mother and other family members I have. So that's that's how it goes. Is the artist puts their family on top. They can if and they want. And then their influences depends. or the people who they respect a little bit lower? Yeah. Or just, I mean, I think it's more visual. So like where your eye line can go. Because the pictures go all around. Right. 
So there's no front or back, but you know, just where you're lying. And that was my mom had just passed, so it was like she's gonna be at the top. But of course, you know, people want to touch things, <laughs> and people don't tell them not to. So. <laughs> Okay, so I would think Eagle Rock for a person of color, mm -hmm. especially when you were in high school there, mm -hmm. is a great place mm -hmm. because you are close to Highland Park. Yeah. You are close to Boyle Heights. Mm -hmm. um, I would consider that the east side. Uh, I would say northeast. Northeast, right. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so you're not the only person that looks like you in school walking mm -mm. down the streets, things like that. Mm -hmm. You can get legitimate food walking down. Uh-oh. She's like, not really. I mean, now you can. <laughs> I mean, Eagle Rock's always been a sleepy kind of town. Like, it's, I mean, it's not a town, but it feels kind of like a town. It does. It's the, you know, it's the most northern part of Los Angeles. Yep. And it was very, like... Filipino, Latino. Even back then? Yeah, it's always been. Because a lot of Filipinos who, like, you know, moved up in middle class, they moved to Eagle Rock. So nice. they're, like, a huge um, Filipino community in Eagle Rock. Mm -hmm. But it was diverse. It's just, like, kind of like the city sometimes, you know, like, north of Colorado. Mm -hmm. It was probably more, a little more white. South of Colorado it was probably more people of color. You know, like, train tracks. Like, it's, it's mm -hmm. always, like, where people live. But, um... Eagle Rock, yeah, it's 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 an interesting spot. You had the Eagle Rock Plaza back in the day when it was like really the main. They used to have a theater. Please tell me more about that. Yeah, because you know they're they're converting it into condos now. Oh really? Yes. Oh, I didn't even know that. The last guy who I the first the first person of this episode ah. told me that, and then I looked it up, and it broke my heart because I love that mall because of the Filipino food. Uh, yeah, because of the diversity. Unlike many, many malls, that one's still popping. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Chuck E. Cheese is full. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. But you have parts that are very, like, it's just empty. The Macy's. Know? Yeah, the Macy's. It's crazy. Like... The, the white parts are not happening. No. The Target is not my favorite Target. Yeah, I could see that. But the, the ethnic parts are booming. Yeah, they the are. The food parts. The food parts, Seafood City's there. Yeah, right. they got everything in there. Right. Th that grocery store. Is is a unique grocery store. I love you. You talk about you don't want to be in a box. I love when grocery stores are in malls that they probably shouldn't, they shouldn't be, be in. in. Was was that grocery store always there? No, that probably came like about ten yeah. ten years ago. I want to say probably like a, a Marshalls or something, right? Yeah, I wonder what I forgot what that was before. And so, so to yeah, see this like very unique grocery store, mm -hmm. very ethnic grocery store in the middle of a mall. Yeah, I love. <laughs> it's really you random. Cannot, what was the movie where it says you, you can't you can't stop the signal? Mm. You know, black and brown people are gonna find their spot. Yeah, they and when other will. people see it, it's gonna it's gonna be great. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of hurts me that that mall is is not gonna be there anymore. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that makes me sad because yeah. it is a place where elders go. It's like you, it's very intergenerational um, and it's a very big, huge part, I think, to the Filipino community because they have like Jollibee's in there yeah. and they have, you know, a bunch it, of other stores and restaurants and then the market, Seafood City. And, and I hate to say it, but L.A. is still about parking. 
Yeah, it is. And so to have a place with free parking. Oh my god, there's so much parking there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which may lead to the success of the mall. Yeah. You know? Um, so did you see movies there as a kid? I did. Do you remember what movies you saw? Oh, I saw a lot of them. I remember one I remember is my we went to go see Rambo and my stepdad didn't want us to see it, so we walked out. But um, in the middle of the movie? In the middle of the movie. Because it was too violent. No, not, not even the middle. I think it was like only five minutes in. But the posters. I know. I was like, what'd you all think in the first place? But my mom was probably like, whatever, no big deal. And my dad's like, no. So we walked out. Because of the violence. Because of the violence. Yeah, I saw like E.T. there, Gorillas in the Mist, Goonies, like all the classics in the 80s. That's the movie theater we went to. So was Eagle Rock a great place to grow up? It was. I really enjoyed it. Um, You know, you have the mountains there. You're really, you're... By Pasadena, there's the big eagle rock, which actually makes the impression of the eagle. Um, have you climbed that rock? I have. Look at Back that. Back before, it had the fence around it. There's a fence there now? Yeah, you can't walk over there, like around the rock anymore. Because people... people would fall off when oh. they would go to the top, so they had to like block it off. Did you ever smoke pot in the, on that rock? No, I didn't smoke pot on that rock. <laughs> My sister tried it, but not me. <laughs> Were you not a marijuana person? Uh, I was in college, but I went to, I went, yeah, I didn't, I probably didn't do it much in public. I didn't want to get caught. What college did you go to? Well, my freshman year, I went to Boston University. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I came back and I graduated from USC. How about that? Yeah. For art? No, I studied international relations. Huh. My art was my hobby. It wasn't like supposed to be my career. That's a real degree. Yeah, that's a real degree. I probably should be like right now at some like institution talking about the current situation There's that's plenty happening. Of time. There's plenty of time. No, but I think my artwork deals with it. Right. It's the way that I bring the international into my conversations in the art. There, um, on your Instagram, mm-hmm. I think there's only two white men on the first like 50 pictures. Who are those people? One of them is Jim Carrey um, uh, impersonating Joe Biden. Joe Biden, uh huh. Which That's is very hilarious. funny. Uh huh. The other is a piece of art, uh, a derogatory piece of art about Donald Trump. Oh, yes. That's right. Which is also very funny. Yeah. And, um, but you go to Boston, like the furthest away. Which some people say is kind of a racist town. Did you find it racist when you were there? Oh, most definitely. Did you know it was going to be like that when you... No, I had no idea. I didn't go with my mom. Like, I just picked the farthest place because I wanted to get away from my stepfather and my home, like, life. So I just was like... And I really liked... The East Coast was very... I was, like, very curious about the East Coast. You wanted to see Rambo. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. We actually got escorted off of Cape Cod. Like, we literally got escorted off of Cape... They wouldn't rent us a hotel room. And it was like, we were a pretty multicultural group of people. It was like seven of us. We weren't like... I wasn't like a big super partier, but they wouldn't rent us a hotel. The manager at one point called the cops on us. The cops came and they were like, you cannot stay here. You have to leave. The bus is waiting for you. So we walked as the cop car drove next to us to get to the bus that they held for us to get on and leave Cape Cod. Yeah. 1993. How many many people are in your group? It was seven of us. And you were just walking around the Cape? Yeah, because we were going to stay there for the weekend. So we're like, all right, we'll just split up. Two 
groups of us will get our own hotel rooms and then we'll meet up. I don't know how, because we didn't have cell phones at that point, but we would like figure it out, you know? But they wouldn't rent to us. Everybody knew that we were in town. And then they just blatantly were like, no, there's no hotel rooms, no hotel and, rooms. And these are students from Boston, B- Boston yeah. University. Mm-hmm. But it was like me, I'm Latina, someone was Filipino, someone was Dominican, someone was Cuban. It was like a pretty... We had like white friends that were part of the group and they just were like, no, you guys have to leave. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting too because I've talked to other people who have gone to BU before me and then some after who also say the same thing. Is that why you left and came to USC? That and the weather (laughs) and just, it's different, you know, and I was missing my family. I think it was my family. And then I went there with other friends from my high school. Oh, cool. And then they were coming back because they were like, I'm not into BU or Boston anymore. And I think too, it was just like, yeah, I'm ready to come back to LA. It's not as I've never had such blatant racism happen to me and even my friends in their dorm room at BU um my friend was is Dominican Puerto Rican and his roommate was Jewish and they put the n-word on his door no and they did the swastika on his door too for both of them yeah in the dorm rooms like you had to show ID in order to get into the dorm room now this is a hard school to get into yeah so these are educated kids. A lot of money. A lot of money is at BU. I'd walk out and you could see like Lamborghinis, Porsches. Like it had a lot of international students, but a lot of like, I mean, the interesting too is that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. got his PhD there from theology. Like <laughs> also, and there's this huge statue and it's just like, this is okay, the so- farce, I guess. So you left Eagle Rock and then you came back. Mm-hmm. You came back in part because of this garden, I imagine. Partly, Amazing. yeah. Amazing it's garden. always been the home base. Totally. <laughs> and now you can tend to it. Uh-huh. Um, what do you do about water for the garden? Um, do you do you do anything different than just a garden hose? Do you try to have irrigation in any sort? Yeah, no. So lately I've been doing this thing where it's like, um, it's an old practice, uh, indigenous practice called ollas, which are like pots and they're clay pots that are terracotta. They're not glazed so that they can be planted underground and just the top of the ceramic, uh, what do you call it? Like a, I don't know, like a jug kind of looking thing. Uh-huh. So you pour water in there and what the pl- and you plant around it. So then the plant's roots grow towards this jug of water that's, you know, planted underground. So that way you can deal with water shortage or like we go through droughts here. Wow. Yeah. So that's one of the systems. And then I'm about to change our sprinkler system into like drip irrigation. So yeah. it just protects the water because we do have a water issue. In we LA. do. Uh, let me change gears real quick okay. about uh, cacao. Ah, okay. Um, my last guy told me about that place. Um, oh, cacao Mexicotessin? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it's a little pricey. Mm-hmm. And I went and I couldn't believe I was paying $14 for a chicken burrito. Mm-hmm. But when I ate it, I was like, well, if I'm going to pay $14 for a Mexican it better be really good. <laughs> Do you feel the same way about that place? Um, So I'm a foodie. Uh-huh. I like food. I cook. So I'm really picky. And especially if it's like 
Mexican food. Yeah. Or Central American food. Um, so I do like it, though it can be sometimes on the salty side for me. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't really go there that much. Well, of course not. <laughs> I don't like... I'm not going to... I mean, yes, it was the best burrito I've ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now my goal is to find a $5 burrito that's just as good as that, or mm. a $7 burrito. Yeah, that's the thing, though. I mean, the beautiful thing about cacao is, like, their ingredients are really great source ingredients. So that's also what you're paying for. Because you could get a $5 burrito, maybe good, but I don't know. It's not going to be, like, grass-fed beef or something, you know, or some duck confit or something. (laughs) Duck confit tacos are supposed to be... Jonathan Gold wrote about those duck confit tacos, huh? And he he didn't play. No, he did not play. So so am I I on a fool's journey to try Mm -hmm. to find... Just the the mom and pop burrito place in Boyle Heights or East LA that Boyle can Heights you can find it East LA you can find it I don't know about Eagle Rock because <laughs> Eagle Rock is more geared at this point I think more to like a different crowd. Is there a spot in Eagle Rock that maybe you don't want to blow up, but is the real deal, or is it all gone? Mm, well, it depends. That's the thing, too. Like, certain restaurants are good. Like, so La Fuente is really good for the albondiga soup if you're into meat and albondigas. Okay. And they're more like, I would say, it feeds a lot of more people who want a $5 burrito, but their prices have probably gone up as well. Which is okay. Which is okay. Um, but yeah, there's a really great pop up taco spot that gets in that in the evening is in front of the small little target that annex target that's in eagle rock that's on eagle rock and el paso okay so there's like a little small little target and so they have a pop-up spot three targets because then there's the glendale one yeah there's a glendale one and then there's a pasadena one wow yeah there's a new spot actually that's guatemalan that popped up in in eagle rock called garnachas and that place has really good food. Um, and it's kind of, I'm like, whoa, Guatemalan food? That's kind of, I wouldn't have thought that they would put one up here. In what New is Rock Guatemalan there. food? Guatemala is like black beans, fried plantains. You have a dish called ilachas, which is kind of what Mexicans have. Machaca, which is that like the beef that's like stringy that you can pull apart, you know? I like that. Yeah, and it's cooked with the red sauce with potatoes. That's a really good dish. Ooh. So in Guatemala, it's called what? Ilachas. Ilacha. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I'm going. Yeah, you could try this garnacha spot. So they have little like what you would say are arepas. So they're little stuffed corn. Um, they have like either meat or beans or chicken as the filling. A lot of like grilled meats with rice and beans. Let's talk about your show. Right on. So this show is called Time, and it'll be at El Segundo Museum of Art. Um, they have a museum of art. They do. It's a small museum but they're really doing great stuff is it is it in the like the townies part uh it's like in the downtown main street el segundo area okay um and so this one is a group show the kind of one of the main artists is uh rick carter who is a production designer and so he's done like jurassic park yeah he did amistad he's done Avatar, he's done Lincoln. He's done a lot of work. He's won Oscars. Yeah, he's won Oscars for Was he a makeup was he the makeup guy that also did production or No, he used to be an art director. So uh-huh. he art directed Goonies, let's say back in the day <laughs> for those old uh, classic movie reference. Um 
he won for Lincoln, I want to say. And so, so and what's, Avatar. What, what's he showing there? So he does portraits. So oh. he's doing portraits and he's showing different kind of little memorabilias from uh, the different movies. And then the uh, as us as artists, other artists, we're doing kind of different wall space. It's going to be something I've never seen before. So it I would definitely suggest coming out because I'm like, I don't know what this is going to look like, but you are in for an experience most definitely. April, you say? Yeah, it's opening April 30th is the opening. So, you know, baseball probably isn't going to be happening in April. Oh, no. I so heard about this. So you can go out to El Segundo. Is there anything on your Instagram that's, that you're going to be showing at this uh, show? Um, There's some clouds that I've been working on. So I'm just doing more of my iconographic work, mm -hmm. um, bringing it into the show. And then um, uh, they'll probably be posting more because we've, we've just recently started working on the pieces for the show. But a lot of the guys are graph artists, so they, they do some really amazing work with their spray cans. But we're here for you. So this is all brand new art that you yeah, have it's all there? brand new art being made at the moment to show. Is that pressure? Do you like that kind of pressure? Um, I'm getting used to that kind of pressure because I've been having more of that kind of pressure to do stuff specifically for shows. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a new challenge, and I'm enjoying the challenge. It's very different when I'm just making work for my not for myself, but like I'm just in my space to make a piece then to share. Yeah. So it's different when you're like being commissioned or you have to work something. I, I, I recently spoke with a rock band who said a deadline is so important. Mm, yeah. To finishing the thing. For sure. Because otherwise you'll forever. Just, yeah. You'll tinker. Same for you? Yeah. Most definitely. So I see your murals, which mm -hmm. by the way, beautiful. Thank you. You had one that was kind of like two, two levels. Like there was waves and mm -hmm. then there was flowers above. Did you do both of those? I did the bottom part. The yeah, bottom part. so that one's on fabric. So that, that'll be showing at the show. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, can we talk about murals real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Because um, I'm a huge fan of Shepard Fairey. Okay. And I was at a talk that he did once where he was being questioned by his dad about why, you know, Shepard, why don't you just put this in the gallery? Why do you put it out on the streets? Yeah. And he said it was kind of for two reasons. One was for marketing. Because a lot of people don't go into art galleries mm -hmm. and feel unwelcomed in an art gallery. Yeah. Um, or they're just, maybe they've never been before to an art gallery. Mm -hmm. We've been to museums, but art galleries are kind of a different thing. And I don't, I just don't like being talked to. <laughs> right on. There's one right over here. And you go in, I just want to look. You yeah. Know? And they're like, hello, how are you? And even that's just too much for me. Okay. Um. I don't know how you fix that, but whatever. That's just me. But I bet you I'm not alone. No, I don't think you're that. alone. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to take my time and look, you know? Which you should. Uh, also, I'm not going to buy. So I feel mm. bad that I'm even there. Mm. But I want to look, you know? Yeah. I, I so anyways, so street art really appeals to me because I'm, uh, I'm not being pressured. I can really check it out. And especially if it's fresh street art or a fresh mural... This is how the artist wanted it to be. And then I think that person was right here doing mm -hmm. it. So it's just so, so different than, is that how you feel about murals and, and street art too? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's to the community, people who don't go into art galleries, like that can part, like participate and see and interact with a piece of art. 
um, I think it's really important. Um, so I think murals and street art really give you access. And I think it makes our city prettier. Like, you know, going, being in Barcelona or like other areas of Europe, but there's so much artwork on the walls and it's so beautiful. It really like adds to a community. Um, and I think it does give people access because museums and galleries aren't very inviting. Maybe there's language barriers that are also another thing. And like you said, like, I'm not trying to buy art. So in that regard, people may find it not very inviting for them to enter because they, you know, they feel awkward or whatever. So I think it's a good way to do that. And I think that's what we did in the 60s and 70s. We did it and used it as an art form to raise awareness about issues that are happening in our our world or against wars or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And I think that really gets the message out there. And it's fun. It's interactive. Like Shepard Ferry, maybe Robbie Canal, who was like yep. uh, my, he was actually my paint teacher really? at, U- at USC. Yeah. So he would like invite you to go help him wheat paste all his posters. And well, I was like, well, legally is- wheat paste. Yeah, I mean, because you're not supposed to we pace, right? Yeah. So you, you get this where you come out and Shepard Ferry, too, the same, right? Yeah. We go out, but it got the message out. You know, Robbie probably is a little more political than Shepard Ferry. He's more a different type of mm-hmm. artwork. But, you know, it's a way that you interact with people. People get a walk and they're waiting for the bus. They get to see art, you know, and it's like art should be available to the masses. And I think those ways make it available. So I would imagine, though, that your murals are legal, that you have. Yeah, my, lyri- my, my murals are legal. <laughs> but I have we pasted in my life, too. So, huh. yeah. Was so. that really fun? Yeah, it is fun. I used to I'd get on my bike and put my posters in my my backpack and then go we paste them and then ride off on my bike. And it's easier because it's only, I mean, I haven't gotten a ticket, thank God, but it's like a misdemeanor. So Right. If you're doing, like, tagging, then it's like a, it's. Different. The, where was the wheat paste element though in your backpack? It was in a jar. Just a, l- a small jar. Yeah, so you just get away so you're mobile. So I went to another French who's actually a librarian now, and she was just like, let's go do it. So we would make our artwork, and then actually in Hollywood by LACC, we just ride around and post our work. I asked because I want to promote this podcast. <laughs> right. And I see every other person in, I mean, Movie posters are out there. Uh huh. You know the the vista is closed, and there's this giant wall where oh, they're yeah. advertising Ghostbusters. So like you know, major film studios are doing this, which I still think is probably illegal, right? I would think so, right. unless they. Yeah, I don't know how that so, works. So so I'm like, well, if I just printed up some here in LA posters <laughs> of the neighborhoods that I'm doing this stuff in, yeah, you know, like that's kind of cool. But then I see how quickly they get pulled down, and I'm like, because eh. it probably costs a lot to po- to print out a poster. Yeah, but now I think because it's a thinner type of paper you're doing, uh-huh. it's cheaper to get like a big amount printed. So you have to do it more in like bulk, or like what they used to do is just do Xerox copies and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean that's the thing. I mean I think that's why. You do it to just do it to share it, and you don't care what happens to it after because you really can't. <laughs> and just do enough. And do enough that people see it, and they're like, oh, what is that? You get them curious. Yeah. And they'll look it up or find, see it somewhere else, and they start putting two and two together. But it's a great way to advertise. Well, to me, I, I love punk rock, and I love art. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's, it's like the perfect combination of both. And I like marketing 
a little bit. Okay. You know? Um, and I, and if Ghostbusters can do it. <laughs> yes. You know? We can do it too. Shouldn't we? Yeah, we should. Okay. So we will be in El Segundo the last weekend of April. April. And we'll check out your stuff. Right on. Thank you so much for being a guest with us. Thanks for having me. And thanks for um, being nice with nature and leading by example. Thank you. I try. How great was Dalila? You know who else helps keep our garden growing? Our Patreons, who make everything around here rise up and bloom. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a half gallon of gas. Here's two gallons of gas. Here's an entire tank. Oh my God. Every donation you hand over keeps this insane project rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, and Bree Wild. Special mention, Nancy Rommelman, our very first Patreon, is a reporter covering the war right now in Ukraine. So shout out to her, and if you pray, pray for Nancy. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. Being an Angelino, all I have to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more, and we will list you on our Here in LA website forever. You'll be given a number to denote how early you got in and uh, making the dream come true. For example, Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Two, George Wright. Three, Rita Joanne. Four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. Six, Rob Baker. Seven, Kev Cheng. And eight, Brenda Garcia. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. That's busblog, as if you're riding a bus at gmail.com Want to support us but that Scrooge McDuck still hasn't paid you for that thing you did in November and December? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Tweet something nice about us. Tell your friends. It's not hard to be nice. Tell them how Here in LA is spelled and then it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who's been knocking out two of these bad boys a week, and we are so grateful, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Oregon and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and Tran for telling us about Dalila. That's how it's done. Long live love of all flavors! Flavors.